Did Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton go from frontrunners to presumptive nominees? Welcome to Playing Politics, a podcast from the Star Tribune's editorial board. I'm columnist and editorial writer John Rash. Joining me are editorial writer Patricia Lopez and editorial writer and columnist Lori Sturdivant. And Patricia, we'll start with you and the Republican race. After a decisive five-state sweep through Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Maryland, and Delaware, Donald Trump said that he is that he considers himself to be the presumptive nominee. Is he? Yes. <laughs> in a word, yes. He's now had blowouts in six states running. Uh, if you New include his home state of New York, and um, he is within, I believe, the latest count. Um, I checked that just about an hour ago. Shows that he's within 284 votes of uh, just locking down the nomination, and he's far, far ahead of his two rivals. I don't think there's any question that he is the presumptive nominee. Um, he said it first, but uh, but that's the reality of it. So, Laura, you think this talk of a contested convention is going to cool at this point? Well, I surely do. And I, I say that with some regret just because it would have been a fun spectacle to cover, <laughs> something we haven't seen since 1976 and haven't seen in a real serious way since the middle of the 20th century. Um, it doesn't look like that's where we are right now. It looks like Donald Trump will arrive with uh, with either the, the majority in hand or so close to it that to deny him that would be seen as illegitimate in, his, in the eyes of, of uh, not only his supporters, but I think other fair-minded observers. <laughs> And you can see already some indications that the Republican establishment is starting to uh, cool to the idea both of a brokered convention and uh, warming a little bit to the idea of having the front runner actually be um, the nominee. Trump hinted broadly yesterday that uh, a number of names have contacted him privately, and, and that's generally how these sorts of things go. It'll be a while before they say it publicly. Um, and he's already sat down with uh, Governor of Indiana Mike Pence, asking him to at least sit out um, the endorsement. So I think that is one of the things we can look for in the coming days. Cruz uh, has said that he wants the governor's endorsement if Pence stays on the sidelines. And I think three of the latest polls all show Trump leading by varying degrees in Indiana. And so Indiana becomes the next battleground. And uh, Patricia Lopez Laurie just mentioned. Senator Ted Cruz, who has had a bruising few weeks mm. here after a decisive Wisconsin victory, the aforementioned five states and New York, mm-hmm. he was barely competitive in third place in most of them. Right. Where do you think his campaign stands? As we all know, recording this in the morning central time this afternoon, he is scheduled to make what he calls, quote unquote, a major announcement, some speculation. It could be a vice presidential nominee, kind of in a bid to seize the initiative here. But, Laurie, starting with you, where do you see the Ted Cruz's campaign? I think he's really on life support. I can't imagine uh, even a, a, a widely acclaimed, highly uh, popular vice presidential candidate doing much for this candidacy because this candidacy has had such trouble. Uh, he doesn't have much support at all on in the populous East Coast side of the country. And we don't see a great deal of evidence in, in other more populated places. He seems to be a, a rural slash southern Texan kind of a, of appeal candidate. And even then, the appeal is fairly tepid. So uh, I think that candidacy is in real trouble, as, of course, is the candidacy of John Kasich, which is who has never really caught on. He, he, Cruz really struggles in uh, non-caucus states. And I Meaning think that an open was primary in, when in, there are in more primary. voters, well, independents. Yes. In primary states, he has more often than not struggled. And even though uh, evangelicals are supposed to be his wheelhouse, you know, Trump has successfully in a number of states, including in the South, 
uh, carved away uh, a bunch of those and expects to do the same in Indiana. And he's already mathematically excluded from a first ballot uh, nomination. Ag- Cruz can no longer get there. So his only hope, right along with Kasich, is uh, a brokered convention. And if um, if Trump and is successful in getting even most of Indiana's candidates, then he's well on his way. And the third candidate remaining in the race, despite the ire of Donald Trump, who's trying to push him out at this point, Governor Kasich of Ohio, where do you assess his campaign, Lori? Well, again, he's at this point not going to be at all a contender for the nomination and doesn't have the delegate strength to uh, force to force any kind of a bargain or, or concessions to speak of. Uh, he, what he continues to bring to the, the race is hard to see. But I will say this, if paying attention to Minnesota politics, his presence continues to give uh, Minnesotans who are discontented with the Trump candidacy, never really crazy about Ted Cruz, though he did have some strength in Minnesota. Kasich is still gives the, those Republicans a rallying point. I'm not sure that the delegate math um, really matters that much at this point. There's been an awful lot written about it lately, but you know, the closer Trump gets to a thousand, and and he's getting awfully close uh, at this point, it it just becomes untenable to think that you're going to then take you know all these votes, all these delegates, and somehow turn to a distant second and an even more distant third, or possibly a figure who wasn't even in the race at all. I'm not sure that the Republican Party wants to take on the kind of chaos that that would create. The tacit alliance between Senator Cruz and Governor Kasich, which was called collusion (laughs) by Donald Trump, did that indeed backfire and play into Donald Trump's assertion that the party is really united against him and and give him some newfound uh, power going into these primaries. Well, it was too little too late, but the uh, uh, interesting thing to speculate about, and I'll do some of that speculation in my column for this Sunday, so I'll give you that much of a preview, uh, they speculate whether a different process or a different kind of uh, coming together at an earlier stage might have made a difference in this race. We have a process that favors plurality victories rather than a process that builds toward a majority or a consensus. Uh, You can think about other kinds of processes that might produce different results. And in Minnesota, we're experimenting in Minneapolis and St. Paul with ranked choice voting, which offers that possibility. Uh, There'll be a lot of talk about reform coming out of this Republican presidential year. Here's what's wrong with that um, alliance, that unholy alliance, uh, some would think, um, is that the first thing that was wrong with it is that it went to the very thing that Trump has been complaining about, that the establishment was collaborating against him. And so in a in a year when people are favoring outsiders and someone who can really shake up Washington, you know, Cruz and Kasich turned to this sort of smelly backroom deal, you know, I'll, it, manipulating voters, I'll lay back here, you come on strong there. So so that part went badly. And then they couldn't even go through with that. You know, Cruz went ahead with an ad that he had against Kasich. He never pulled the ad off the air. Uh, Kasich, after Cruz trumpeted this as a big deal, said, well, it's no big deal. I still want my voters to vote for me in Indiana. So the thing fell apart before it could even take hold. They were left with all the downsides and none of the upsides. And of the three candidates, there perhaps was the least commonality between Senator Cruz and Governor Kasich ideologically. Politically, they had a common bond, at least temporarily. But the idea that uh, 
relatively more moderate Republican would support the most conservative candidate in the race in Senator Cruz seemed unlikely from the beginning and it really did see. They're treating voters like chess pieces, you know, and and there's going to be a natural resentment of that. Absolutely. Well, let's turn to the Democratic side and nearly as complete a sweep for former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who won all but Rhode Island last night. And she did indeed win majorities because, of course, now it's just a two-candidate race. Is she the presumptive nominee, Laura Sturgeon? I, I would even say it's it's not a two-candidate race anymore. She is within 232 delegates of securing that nomination with uh, strength in the remaining states. Uh, I think she is now indeed the presumptive nominee. And I think she begins to talk that way. You could hear that in her voice last night as she reached out again, as she had a, a week before, but reached out once again to those Bernie Sanders supporters to say, look, we have much in common. Well, And I think she found that one line that sort of unites the Clinton and um, Sanders sides. She said, you know, we've learned that we need to be dreamers and doers. And that that one line stitches together those two sides, the vision on the Sanders side and then Clinton's history of actually digging in, you know, to the details and, and getting, you know, getting the tasks done. Um, and I thought that was a nice bit of, uh, of unity for her and a line I think we'll hear more of in the future. She also had a line responding directly to <clears throat> Donald Trump oh. <laughs> who had said that she played the woman card, quote mm-hmm. unquote, and then mentioned some key policy proposals. And then she said, if that's the woman card, deal me in. And I Mm -hmm. suspect we'll hear that line a lot. Well, with her line towards Donald Trump and the line regarding Senator Sanders' campaign, what do you think Senator Sanders is hearing? And to what degree do you think that he'll begin to pivot to pull the two sides together in a more united front? I don't know if he'll pivot toward pulling the two sides together. I haven't heard that Um, from him yet. But I I think he is going to continue to push his policies and try to get more uh, victories in that sense. You know, we saw in the last debate where on live television, he pushed uh, Hillary into supporting the $15 minimum wage. Um, so, so there was one. He, I think he expects he can do more uh, like that between now and, uh, you know, the, the primary in uh, California in June. And Lori Sturdivant, if indeed Senator Sanders does that, does that hem in Secretary Clinton for the general election, not allow her to pivot as most candidates do towards the broader, more moderate middle of the electorate? And might that make her candidacy more difficult? Well, this is why I think her showing last night in winning four of the five states that were in play yesterday and winning them pretty handily, that does matter. Had she had a, a tougher night uh, last night, I think she would have felt more compelled to continue to reach to the left and maybe even begin to think about a running mate to the left of her politically so that she could be sure to unite that party. Uh, I think now the chances, that the need to do that is lessened for her. And she can begin to think about casting herself as the centrist in this race. For all of its flaws, the American political process is supposed to produce something that represents the majority of this country. This democracy needs a centrist to to emerge in both parties. The Republicans are struggling still to find a centrist. Uh, I think in Secretary Clinton, there is someone who can argue, look at me, I am the centrist. Uh, we'll see how she presents herself in the next few weeks. I, I do wonder, though, you know, I mean, this is this is a race where the old rules uh, don't seem to be applying. And I, that would be the conventional thinking, you know, the move to the center. But I think Hillary is still going to have a lot of work to do to make sure that the Sanders people 
don't fall off and stay home or and that some of them don't go to Trump because we've seen before that um, there are some voters, improbable as it may seem to some of us, that uh, are actively deciding between Sanders and Trump because both both of those candidates are speaking to this desire for an outsider and also talking about trade in a way that we haven't seen candidates talk about before. And I think that is one area where uh, Clinton is going to have to find a way um, to speak about free trade and the future of it um, that that pulls in those Sanders supporters. Well, down-ballot races on both sides of the ledger are certainly going to be looking to see these efforts and how the parties coalesce. And, of course, there's a lot of history with political parties and how they deal with it, including some unique Minnesota perspective, Lori. Well, I had fun uh, learning about the Republican behavior in 1964 in Minnesota at a time when Barry Goldwater was emerging at about this stage as the front-running candidate. Uh, and a lot of Minnesota Republicans finding him uh, less than palatable and wanting to separate themselves, they uh, came up with the notion that the Minnesota delegation at the National Convention, instead of backing Goldwater, would back favorite son Walter Judd. He had been a congressman for 20 years. He had been out of office from 1962 forward, but uh, still was a popular unity figure within Minnesota's Republican Party and by uh, very publicly and, and uh, uh, forthrightly backing Walter Judd at the convention in San Francisco in 1964, the Republican Party in Minnesota was able to say, we're not with this Goldwater. Uh, that th Those folks who told me the story claimed that that made a difference in the outcome in November, that Minnesota Republican congressional candidates were able to at least hold on to the four seats that they had at that time. We'll see how then Minnesota's uh, delegation this year wants to cast itself. Are they with Trump, who came in third in our caucus uh, precinct, our precinct caucus poll, or uh, will they uh, try to find another way to express or to put some distance between themselves and the, the nominee? That indeed will be quite compelling to follow as we get closer to November, but as we get closer to just the next week. Patricia Lopez, what will you be watching or watching for? Well, it's all going to be about the activity in Indiana. Uh, Cruz has said he's going to camp out there. He is desperately trying to get um, the endorsement of the governor. Uh, Donald Trump, for his part, has said that he's, you know, finally prepared to put some real resources, uh, apparently has bought close to a million dollars of ads in that state already, um, you know, is making his own strong uh, bids. So I think that will tell us a lot about um, whether we're going to have uh, a, a brokered convention. And Lori Sturdivant. Well, I agree with that. I think that the uh, national political show is in Indiana. Meanwhile, I'm at the state capitol trying to see if there's any spark of life in a legislative session that's pretty moribund right now. I'd like to see a little more activity if we're really going to cut some deals this year on taxes and transportation and a bonding bill and those other things that we'd like to see the legislature do. Well, and we'll continue the conversation in future podcasts about the legislature and what's happening in Minnesota and, of course, nationally with the election. And as for me, I also will be eyeing the front runners and the runners up to see how they coalesce their parties. But I think I'll also particularly be looking towards Donald Trump in terms of does he indeed rebrand, as his campaign manager had suggested last week, a suggestion that Mr. Trump seems to have pushed off um, very publicly. He makes a foreign policy address today, notably with a teleprompter as opposed to off the cuff. So we'll see if there's more to this than just campaign rhetoric. Well, that's a wrap for the April 27th edition of Playing Politics, which can be heard on the Star Tribune's website and by subscribing through iTunes. Lori Sturdivant and Patricia Lopez, thank you for joining me, and thank you for listening and for reading the Star Tribune.